please don't look at me. I get very uncomfortable. You gotta. It's. it's I told you, it's, it's impolite to stare. And just, come on. Now it's always great to be here. You let me be silly. I appreciate that. And uh, I. I don't know if I'll ever get over the the music at this place. There was a little kid uh, coming in here who was obviously a visitor because he was somebody who knew the ropes, was holding his hand, another little kid. And you guys were playing uh, the music earlier in the service when it started, and the little kid who's a visitor said, that, that's church? <laughs> it says it all, right? No, the music is, I don't know what it says, there's so much to talk about. The, uh, the song, Wrecking Ball, I just want to say, <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about construction equipment, I, that's a beautiful song, but I challenge anybody. Neville, hot shot on the bass, okay? You write a song about praising God, but, but about a backhoe. Could you do that? There's a challenge. Wrecking ball, a backhoe. I challenge you. <clears throat> I once commuted to work in a backhoe. It was very embarrassing. Um, now, the music here is just extraordinary, and uh, I cannot believe that... Steve Young gave permission to play <laughs> I Believe in Miracles by Hot Chuck. Yeah, what does he know? He's not here, right? What are we going to do? Uh, but I, lo- I love that song. I get very moved by, you know, crummy 70s hits. I do. I do. Uh, I want, by the way, if, um, not, that, uh, not that I want him, you know, to get sick, but uh, if Rich Teeters gets sick during that, you know, that, that, uh, the time that he's teaching on the, what is it, finding faith in rock and roll, right? I, I've got a sermon on finding faith in rock and roll, and I'm going to be talking about Jerry Rafferty. Do you believe I can do that? That's right there up with backhoe. That's tough. Jerry Rafferty, right down the line. I believe there's a sermon in that, and I volunteer, just in case something happens to Rich. Um, the, mu- the music... Uh, and I do believe you can find faith in rock and roll, and I think it's really wonderful that you guys have this attitude toward music. I believe you could lose your faith listening to Millie Vanilli, though. I've got to be honest. Yeah, you know, people act like they're just, you know, you don't want to be pro-everything. You know, there's certain things that you've got to say, nah, God is against that. He's, he, ju- he judges that, you know. Um, so, and uh, <clears throat> a few other bands, we don't have time to get into that right now. But uh, I do think the music is, is, uh, is awesome here. I love it, and I just cannot believe that you... I love that, that hot chocolate song. It's so great. Thank you. You got me pumped up. Um, all right, today, the, the title of my sermon is Do You Believe in Miracles? Where are you from? <laughs> no, nah, I'm just going to pull it back. It's just Do You Believe Miracles? That's it, okay? Uh, last week, I talked about Do You Depend on Miracles? And it sounds a little bit backwards, because if you believe in... You know, if you depend on miracles, then presupposes that you probably believe in them, but um, what the heck. Um, I, when, if you listen to the tapes, you can put them in the right order. But uh, frankly, both of them lead to other conversations. The question, um, do you believe in miracles? If anybody asks you that, they maybe know you're a Christian, uh, probably think of you as a phony, hypocrite Christian, right? Right? Um, I'm just talking about Neville. I'm sorry, Neville. You know what I mean? Uh, I shouldn't do that, because I... But, but when people ask certain questions, do you believe in miracles? What they're really saying, they're asking other questions by asking that questions, right? And what people often mean by that is really, are miracles for today? They don't really have a problem if you say, like, 
you know, Jesus did this or, you know, Moses did that. They go, I believe it. I'm a Christian. I was raised in the church. Yeah, I believe it. But the idea that miracles are for today is much more challenging. Um, because I think we sometimes have a bifurcated attitude toward reality. We think like there's this, this spiritual mushy dimension where anything can kind of happen. And then there's reality, like the here and now. You know, and so if something happened, you know, way back when in fairy tale time, eh, you know, anything can happen back then. I don't have a problem with that. But if we're talking about it happening, you know, today on the parkway, you know, behind the Nissan, you know, that's not miracle territory, right? That's uh, that's reality, uh, and reality is not as much fun. But that's where we live today. Okay, so I think a lot of us have that idea, and you pick that idea up in the culture that we live in. It's interesting because if you take polls. People say, you know, 84%, I think it is, in America would say, would self-identify as Christian, right? Now, that's crazy, because if you turn on TV or watch movies, the reality seems to be that nobody actually believes, except for like the nutcases, nobody really believes, you know, all that stuff, right? But if you believe what Scripture says, if you believe that this is true, you're, you're obliged to believe other things. Um, but people kind of want to talk their way around it. And, and sometimes, you know, you'll read, if you, all you have to do is read the New York Times and they'll give you plenty, you know, ways to kind of squirm out of the uncomfortable stuff. You know, like they'll have around Easter or, uh, or Christmas, they'll have some article and they'll quote, you know, some Yale or Harvard divinity school professor talking about whatever miracle it was. And that, that person always, they'll sort of talk it away. Like they'll say that, well, Jesus believed I mean, uh, we, we believe, Christians, we believe that Jesus rose in the hearts of his disciples, you know. And it sort of sounds, you know, he's got these degrees and, and he's this theological seminary guy. And so he's talking about something spiritual I don't understand. So when he says something like, Jesus rose in the hearts of his disciples, I just go, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's spiritual. And I guess I just don't understand spiritual stuff. But, yeah, that makes sense to me, you know. But it makes no sense whatsoever, when you really break it down, that's, it's just kind of like fancy spiritual talk to fool you uh, because it's like trying to say something, but you're saying nothing, right? What have you just said? You know, it's like I, if, I, if I see somebody struggling like with a really heavy suitcase and I say, oh, oh, pardon me, ma'am, let, let me get that for you in my mind. <laughs> really. Uh, you know, or I will... You know, I will write that check um, this afternoon in my heart. I will, because that's what counts. You know what I'm saying. It's the heart that counts. We all know. It's what's inside that counts. You know, actually writing the check is not important. It's my heart. Nobody will let you get away with that because we live in reality. And we say, that doesn't make any sense. That who, who are you kidding? You're trying to con me, right? And so when you hear these sort of, you know, theological experts talking and saying things like Jesus rose in the hearts of his disciples, it's, it's like a con. It's like this spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It actually doesn't mean anything, and anybody knows it doesn't mean anything, except you give it a pass because it's that spiritual stuff that we don't understand. It sounds spiritual, and I, I want to be spiritual, you know? And um, that's not good because you can't really have that, you know? You can't, uh, you have to either accept this, or you say, well, I don't accept it. But you can't say, like, I believe in Jesus, I believe he rose from the dead in the hearts of his disciples. Because it's just, we don't even know, how can something rise, how can a person rise in somebody's heart? What does that, what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything. It's just kind of, but, but they do with all kinds of other um, 
I read something in the New York Times about two years ago. There was an article. I, re- I referenced it in my, I think, the, the new book. But there was an article. I mean, I read this article um, that somebody was saying that there's new evidence. Blah, blah, blah. There's always new evidence, big new evidence, right? There's new evidence that, that, that Jesus, when he walked on water, was actually like a certain time of year, blah, 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 blah. And it was actually ice, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if you're worshiping a God that has to like try to fool you by, you know, slipping and sliding on ice and trying to pass it off as a miracle. <laughs> you might want to think about checking out the next God, because that one is really not, uh, it's not going to be helping you out when the chips are down. That's kind of, you know, uh, the idea of a Messiah slipping and sliding is not really, it's not that impressive. I don't know. I could slip and slide on ice. So, um, but there's, there's a lot of that. And I think that, again, it's because we, you have to understand that either all reality is one or you're, you're kidding yourself. You can't have like a spiritual reality where anything can happen and then reality. I mean, you, that's, that's just silly. Either you can talk about reality with the same kind of logic and it's either true and it doesn't mean you understand every detail, but, you know, either Jesus really rose from the dead, like that's the point. That's why it's impressive and why one of the ways we know he's actually God <laughs> or it's just, who cares, frankly, who cares? Um, but... But we're living in a time, again, where people try to explain. It's just too uncomfortable. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard for us who have everything we have at our fingertips, the Internet. Everybody talks about the Internet. But if it's true, right, it's very hard to fathom that kind of stuff in a simpler age, perhaps, but not today. Well, I think um, I, I refer to this uh, in the book about a, a, it's like a cannoli without the filling, right? Have you ever had one of those? Don't. <laughs> It's like, I would say technically it's not a cannoli. Uh, why bother? Like maybe it sort of looks sort of like a cannoli, but I don't care. Like either it has the filling or you can keep it and I'll, you know. Uh, it's like one of those things. Some, you know, if you can have a cannoli, actually have one because uh, otherwise it doesn't taste so good. And um, I think sometimes that's, you kind of can't, you know, you're either going to go for it or, or you're not. Because Jesus demands it, Scripture demands it, you know, the Christian faith really demands that you don't have to accept the Christian faith, but if you do, this is what it is. It says that God is the God of all reality, and he is in everything, everything, and everything is a miracle. And sometimes you see something that blows your mind and it's a miracle, and other times you don't, but God, he created the entire universe and that's who you're dealing with. So it's kind of like a God who could create the entire universe, who could create subatomic particles, who, who invented it, by the way. He didn't, like, you know, just uh, get the idea from somebody else and then create it. Like, he invented the idea of it. Uh, he invented the idea of matter. That's pretty heavy. Have you ever invented something that impressive? Matter itself? Time? I don't know which is more impressive, but I know you'd have to go to school for a long time to figure out how to invent matter, you know. Not create it. Invent it. Come up with the idea. I mean, we're talking about a God who is so big that you have to understand who you're talking about, who is God, before you ask the question, can we have miracles or whatever. But then once you say, well, yes, I mean, which everybody, those 84% of the people and whatever would say, well, no, I believe in God. What do you mean by that? I mean, if you mean the God of the Bible, even if you're just talking about the God who created the universe, you don't know anything else, if you can accept that, logically speaking, logically speaking, you are obliged to understand, like, woo, he could do anything. Like, that is, you know, this is like I, I, I talk about Leo Tolstoy wrote um, 
Anna Karenina, 1,400 pages, right? You say, yes, no, I know that he wrote that, but I do not believe it's possible for him to move a comma in the manuscript. That's not possible. You know, that's, that's, too, that's crazy. That's crazy stuff, <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, I believe God created the universe, and, but I don't believe he could, you know, like heal a broken bone. That's just, that's crazy stuff, you know? It's like, no, it's not. He could. Doesn't mean he will, but believe me, if he can't do that, he probably didn't invent the universe, you know? You might kind of want to be consistent. So we have to think about that. And um, when you remove all that stuff, the, you know, these are historical miracles, but like, you know, the virgin birth, the resurrection, uh, walking on water. When you, when, you, when you get rid of that, you know, you get down to the Jesus as a role model. You know, he's like the scout leader kind of thing, right? It's nice, but I wouldn't like peg everything on that guy, you know? Like it's, you might get disappointed, I can tell you about one scout leader, very disappointing, I had. Uh, but uh, that's all over now. Um, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're just talking about a nice guy, a role model, you know, you didn't hit anybody, really sweet guy, that's not God. <laughs> that's a great guy. That's not God. If you're talking about God, you're talking about somebody who's able to do anything. Um, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, I was, I remember it was, uh, it was June of 2001, and uh, my wife and, and daughter and I uh, rented a house in the Hamptons with a bunch of friends, because on a writer's salary, it's got to be a big bunch of friends, <laughs> big. And um, I, uh, I remember we were there, it was maybe the second week we were there, and for some reason, I was in the habit of getting up really, really early, uh, lasted about three days, and... Um, Maybe that's technically not a habit. Is it a habit if it just happened three times? I don't know. But uh, I was getting up really, really early, uh, like literally 5 a.m. or 4.45. I don't know what it was. New meds, probably. But, you know, I can't remember back that far. Um, But I basically, um, I remember just before we went out there, uh, I had told a friend, just new friends, just an acquaintance, that we would be out there for the summer and that maybe we should, you know, go to church together. He, He was in another part of the Hamptons, like, 20 miles away, basically, but, you know, he was out there, and we'd say, we get together, we'll find a church, we'll go to church, and he was a brand new Christian, and um, so I said that to him, and he called me and left a message, and for some reason, I couldn't get back to him, or I lost it, or something, and um, I didn't want to give him the impression that I was blowing him off, that's rude, especially a brand new Christian, I wanted to encourage him in his faith, and I wanted to spend a little time with him, um, but I was busy and scattered, and it was a new house, and somehow I lost the number. He calls and leaves a message on my cell phone. Somehow I screwed it up and, and erased it or something. And he left a message on the house phone at this new place where we were staying, and my wife or somebody else in the house you know, hit a button, and it, we don't know how to use the new machine. So he's really trying to get a hold of me, and I have no way of reaching him. And I know he is for sure going to think, I'm a jerk, I'm blowing him off, I'm just not a terribly nice guy because he's left three messages. And I felt horrible about it, I felt absolutely horrible, but there was nothing I could do, nothing. Uh, So I was pretty upset. It was a Saturday, uh, I remember church was the next day, he'd left a couple of messages just then, and I thought, this is so terrible, I feel so bad. I mean, there's no way that you could lose three messages. He's left a message in the number. I, this is so terrible. I have no way of reaching. What am I going to do? And that evening, uh, Saturday evening, we had a group of us. It was a, a, we were Christians in this house, and we decided to get together and, and pray. That's how you know we're Christians, because we actually believe prayer works. I know it's crazy, but I've tried it. Sometimes stuff happens. So um, 
So we got together to pray. It was like 7 o'clock in the evening, and uh, we, we just said, we'll pray. And I remember as we're praying, I thought, you know, I've got to pray about this Frank Shepard thing. His name was Frank Shepard. I said, I feel so bad about this. He's going to be convinced that I'm just blowing him off, and I, I just don't know how to reach him. He's left three messages. It's really upsetting to me. And Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. I mean, it says that. God's commanding us to be anxious for nothing, to be anxious about nothing. Now, why would God say that so emphatically unless he actually means nothing, you know? He doesn't say be anxious for most, not, for, you know, for almost nothing, but like the really bad stuff, of course, be anxious, be anxious. God doesn't say that. He says this outrageous thing, be anxious for nothing, because he loves us, he doesn't want, he wants to say, no, 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 I'm God. I invented the universe, I invented you. Um, I've got things under control. Your job is to give it to me. And, you know, obey me, do as I ask you to do. And then if you're stuck, just give it to me. I'll take it, don't worry. Even if things don't go the way you want, I, I will, I don't want you to be anxious. You're my beloved child. That's, that's what he's looking for from us, but he can't force us. So most of us are anxious a lot of the time. And, um, but I remember praying and saying, Lord, okay, you say be anxious for nothing. I'm terribly anxious about it. I feel so upset. I give this to you. I don't know, you know, tomorrow morning is church, obviously, and there's no way it's Saturday night. But at this point, I just, I just pray this prayer and I put it at the foot of your cross and I say, do what you will. You know, make him at least not upset at me or maybe I can talk to him sometime the next week. I, I, I don't know how to reach him, but I just put it at the foot of your cross no more anxiety. I, I entrust it to you, Father, because you've commanded me to do that. So the next morning when I woke up at like 5 a.m. or even before 5 a.m., it's so quiet, it's freaky, you know, out there. There's, no, you, there's not a car for, you know, 80 miles. There's just nothing at that hour. It was before 8. And the, the really strange thing was another person in the house woke up at the same time and is like making coffee at, you know, quarter to five. Sick people, right? And um, she was all chipper, and her, her parents come here sometimes, so I'm not going to make too much fun of her. <laughs> Actually, maybe I will. Um, she, said, she said, oh, we should go down to the beach, and we should be... I won't go into it, but it was kind of like, we should, you know, it's so early, we should watch the sunrise, and, and you know, and I'm thinking, please, come on, it's dark outside, it's like pitch black outside, I'm, I'm not, not into it. Well... She was so chipper, so unbelievably chipper that I said, okay, okay, we'll take a walk to the beach. It's eight-tenths of a mile. It's not like, you know, behind the second house. I mean, it's, it's a long walk to the beach down this road. And so at eight minutes to 5 a.m., did I mention that's early? <laughs> we walk out to take this long walk to the, to the beach, but uh, Deb's chipperness evidently was just carrying us along. And... Uh, we, um, so we're walking along, and I'm stunned at how silent it is. It's absolutely, like the crickets are not up yet. You know how early that is, right? Very early. And you, you don't, there's not a car, there's not a single car. You know, there's just not one anything. Nobody is driving around. Uh, so we're, we're walking along, and uh, I, finally I see a car. I mean, I shouldn't say there are no cars, but almost none and I, I see a car driving down our road, and you're kind of thinking, like, what the hell? Like, who's driving around at, you know, five minutes of five on a Sunday morning? And um, it's like one of those, you know, black SUVs, you know, like presidential candidates use, you know. And <laughs> drives past us, you know. And then it stops 
and then mm, pulled backs up, and the you know disoriented, you know, and the window you know comes out. It's Frank Shepard. Now, it's one of those moments where you have to stop and spin around and. At least I do, you know. I don't take that kind of stuff in stride. I freak out. I just say, now, hold on. <laughs> I'm expecting him to, like, pull off the latex mask. Like, <laughs> it's Alan Funt, you know. Um, thank you, those of you who remember Alan. Um, so I was completely thunderstruck beside myself. Almost, you don't know what to, literally what to do with yourself. I, 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 he, I mean, he didn't live, you know, in that town. He lived 20 miles away someplace. He didn't know where I lived. And um, this wasn't like a major thoroughfare. So I said to him, Frank, what the heck are you doing here? It's 5 a.m. Like by now it was 5.03, right? What are you doing here? He says, well, sometimes I just uh, drive to the, to the beach to, you know, have my quiet time, read scripture or whatever. And I, you know, the beach by me, for some reason it was... I don't know what it was, it was closed or something, so I decided to drive down to the next beach, and there was something there, so I just drove down to the next beach, and this is the next beach, you know? I, I, I simply didn't know what to say. I mean, I don't even know if I remembered at that point that I had prayed the night before, Lord, you know? Um, but I said, oh, by the way, Frank, um, you know, yeah, we should, like, hook up for church today, and I lost your number, and da 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 Very simple, right? No big deal. Well... I, to this day, I can't get over... I mean, the more you know about some of these stories, the more ridiculous they seem. I mean, if you knew the details, I try to give you the details, but it just doesn't... You know, sometimes people are bad storytellers, and they'll tell you this incredible story, but they'll leave out key stuff, and you go, well, that wasn't such a big deal. I don't know. You know, um, it, it's hard to communicate sometimes. And then there are other people who tell you something's a miracle, and you really think, well, it's, it doesn't sound like a miracle to me. It sounds like a, that was a one-in-eight chance, and that's not bad, but... Uh, you know, there was a chance that that could happen. It's not like, you know, two bullets hitting in outer space or something. It's really... Um, but this is one of those things that I was just completely freaked out. And I... Um, I remembered, you know, that I had prayed this prayer, that I had put this in God's hands the night before and meant it. And a lot of times when I think when God... When we pray a prayer like that and it's answered like that, God sort of whispered to us like to pray that prayer almost, you know, like it, because it was just so outrageous. He wanted to show me something. So, you know, what's the, the moral of that story? Why does God do things like that? What, what, is the, what is the point exactly? I guess that's the question. What is the point? I said last week that a miracle is like a weed in a sense that it's completely subjective, Okay, there's not a book where you look up, like, these are weeds, these are non-weeds. Did you, did you know that? I think I learned this in sixth grade, I remembered it. Um, also, beryllium, oh, never mind. Um, but we say that's a weed. There's no such thing as a book of weeds, right? Some people say dandelion's a weed. Other people say, oh, I like dandelions, I grow them. I mean, there's no, okay, miracles are like that in the sense that they're utterly for our benefit. God does not have to perform miracles, okay? It's not like he gets in a jam, He's like, uh-oh, what do I do? Well, I'm going to have to do something dramatic. Shoot, I hate to do that, but I have to do it because I got painted myself into a corner. Uh, so I got to, like, you know, do one of those cheap parlor tricks, like, you know, part the Red Sea because, you know, the Israelites are my people. I told them to depend on me. Now they're screwed. I mean, they're going to get killed. Uh, I just hate to do it, but I'll, 
I'll like I'll part the Red Sea, but I don't want to do this stuff too often because it's cheesy and it messes with you know the the fabric of reality as I've created it. Uh, I hate to do it, but I'm in a jam. I'm going to do it. God doesn't do miracles because he has to. <laughs> okay, uh, he does them completely for our benefit, completely for our benefit, uh, to give us a glimpse of who he is. Because all of reality is a miracle. Now, that's the cliche, right? Life is a miracle. These are cliches. They mean nothing to us unless God gives you the grace to actually comprehend, which can hurt your head when you really understand that life is is a miracle. Your existence, let let me put it that way, your existence is a miracle. If you can fathom that, that your existence is, is a miracle, that the odds of your existing, that the idea that you exist, you know, I don't have time to go into this, obviously, but reality that God created is so mind-blowing, and God is so mind-blowing, that, that if you could just see a glimpse of, you know, who you are, who your neighbor is, I mean, just the fact that you're an immortal being. C.S. Lewis said that, that we're immortal beings, and did you know that you will never, ever die? I think that's impressive. You'll never die. You are not just some person bumbling through life. That if you see what God sees and how he created things to be, all of reality, uh, sometimes you get little glimpses of this. At birth, if you've ever been present at a birth, have you ever been with somebody when they die? You kind of you get a little glimpse of the bigger picture. Now, God wants us to see the bigger picture always. But we usually don't. We're busy. We don't get it. We're skeptical. But he wants us to see that. He wants us to comprehend that the person next to you is an immortal being who will never, ever die and whom he loves infinitely. But, again, we're busy. But now and again, for our benefit, to show us who he is, maybe so we'll trust him more, God will sort of you know, open the door and show us you know, the gears It's like, impressive, huh? You know, you suddenly see what's behind and you just go, I had no no idea you were that big, that you could do that, that you could, I I just didn't know. Um, But that's true. That's the reality that we live in. Um, And sometimes, you know, because we're immature and we need to see the the whiz-bang parlor trick, rabbit out of the hat kind of thing, God says, well, all right, I'll do that to show you what I'm, my strength, what I can do. But it's all to show you simply who I am and to show you reality and to tell you that you must be anxious for nothing. Nothing. I don't know if you read Oswald Chambers, but I love Oswald Chambers. And August 12th, which happens to be today, no big deal. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. It, but it's August 12th every year. So um, he talks about when uh, Jesus says, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith, right? And Oswald Chambers writes, when we're in fear, we can do nothing less than pray to God, but our Lord has a right to expect that those who name his name should have an understanding confidence in him. God expects his children to be so confident in him that in any crisis, they are the reliable ones. Our trust is in God up to a certain point. Then we go back to the elementary panic prayers of those who do not know God. If you know God, you know that you need be anxious for nothing. He can do anything. doesn't mean you have to see him do anything every minute, but if you could comprehend the reality that you're in, you would know, if we're talking about the same God, 
you honestly have nothing to worry about. He says, obey me, do what I command you, it will bless you. And if you get in any jams, turn to me, put it at the foot of my cross, say, Father, I give it to you, now it's yours. And he says, I've got you covered, I can, I can handle it. You don't want to wait till God does a big miracle to realize who he is, you know. There's a sermon I heard by Dave Wilkerson. He said that when the Israelites crossed over, they sang this big song of celebration, right? But the title of his sermon was Right Song, Wrong Side. We should be able to know God's got it covered no matter what happens. No matter what happens, he's got it covered. We need to know that. We say we do, but do we? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we say that we know you. Sometimes we tell others that we know you. But Father, we disappoint you because in our actions, in our minds, in our fear, we behave as though we don't know you or as though if we know you, we have no idea who you really are. We insult you. We don't believe you can do much. Father, you say you can and you want to. You desire for us to have peace. You desire for us. It is your will for us to have peace, to know that you are the God who can do anything that needs doing. And you desire us, you command us, you command us to trust you, to trust you. Father, in those areas in our lives right now where we have fear, something this week coming up, something in our lives, a relationship, some place where we're not trusting you, Father, we give it to you now. Help us to be obedient in the things that we know, to do those things we know we must do, to not do those things we know are against your will. And beyond that, to put things in your hands and to praise you, to sing the song now, to praise you now, knowing there is no chance that you will not be victorious, there is no chance you will not take care of us. None. So we praise you this morning, Sunday morning. We praise you, God, who can do all things. Open our eyes to see reality as you see it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.